Today's episode of the Hot Forward Podcast is sponsored by Brewpacks. Brewpacks have been providing microbrewery supplies in small and manageable sizes for over 25 years, acting as agents and resellers for some of the world's best producers of ingredients, sundries and equipment. With some of the industry's lowest minimums and lead times, Brewpacks aim to make their products accessible to all. Partnering with Oushouse Engineering, Brewpacks have released their smallest can seamer at a cost-effective price, while also aiming to provide cans in the smallest minimums as possible to make the introduction into canning as easy as can be. Call Brewpacks today on 01709 That's 01709 or visit their website brewpacks.com. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello Hopheads and welcome to another session of the Hop Forward podcast. There's not a brewery or a business out there that hasn't been hit hard by the global pandemic. No one could imagine an entire industry being put on pause for weeks, months even, on end. But now that pubs and bars have started to reopen around the world, furloughing schemes reach their natural conclusions and businesses restart on a rather unsteady footing as everyone tries to find the new normal. The pending months ahead offer uncertainties that equally need figuring out as we head into a looming recession and who knows what else. What kind of state will the industry be in when banks start reclaiming those bounce back loans in the UK? What will the small breweries relief reform tapering actually look like and how will it affect monthly cash flow? And as we head into autumn with schools reopening and the darker, cooler winter months still at this point without a proven vaccine, will we be plunged into further lockdowns throughout the UK, Europe and the rest of the world, meaning bars, pubs and restaurants have to reclose? I don't envy anyone running a brewery at the moment. Cash margins are fairly tight at the best of times and those relying mostly on the hospitality trade to sell their produce may be in for further turbulence yet. I often find myself wondering what it would have been like had I taken out that lease on a railway arch I was looking at in Sheffield back in 2018 to kickstart Emmanuel's as a fully independent brewery and autonomous business. Where would I be now? What would that mean for my family and for our livelihood? In my opinion, if a business goes under because of bad management, poor products and services, and just a general lack of care, that's sad on one level, but at least there's an opening at the bar for someone else. But whenever I see an independent business in trouble for reasons through no fault of their own, with good people at the helm fighting to stay afloat like a trawler on a stormy sea, my heart genuinely goes out to them. This is what happened when I came across a video on Instagram from a Scottish brewery I'd never heard of before. Broughton Ales, based in Scotland, south of both Glasgow and Edinburgh, are on a mission to save their 40-year-old brewery. 
Established in 1979, the brewery has weathered many storms in that season, but none as detrimental to the business as the impacts of COVID-19. But as we'll hear from David McGowan, the owner since 2015, they're reaching out to fans, old and new, to raise funds through crowdfunding to save the brewery and release innovative new products to the market and ultimately make sure they reach the end of this pandemic with as many employees on the ship as they set off with. Now normally at this point we'd segue into our But I felt like there was no better way than to give a massive shout out to, of course, Broughton Ales by encouraging our Hot Ford listeners to help keep Scotland's original independent brewery afloat. Would you like to see a small business like this survive? Do you want to avoid a future of drinking mass product keg beers in a pub throughout Scotland and the north of England? You might say, this doesn't really apply to me, but... An ethos I like to live my life by is do to other people as you would have them do to you. If the answer to that is yes, and you want to lay your hand on some exclusive merch, plant a tree even, or bag a bottle of a 20-year-old Imperial Russian Stout. Yes, you heard me. A 20-year-old Imperial Russian Stout. Then head over to broughtonales.co.uk and chip in towards this good cause. And as ever with this podcast, I'm not telling you to do anything that I haven't done myself. I've contributed to this. I'm very much looking forward to tasting the stout and the conversation I had with David definitely whet my appetite in anticipation of it. So head over to broughtonales.co.uk where you too can play your part to save the brewery. Every week, we're partnering with brew schools to highlight some of the UK's brewing industry jobs. And this week, our job of the week is as a lead packager with Brixton Brewery. Brixton are a family-run business with obviously strong ties to Brixton, and that is what motivates them to succeed. So they can give the best to their employees, their customers, and their local wider community. They're committed to finding the right people and then supporting them and developing their skills. So they're after people who are passionate about beer, their brand and what they represent. Top quality brews, excellent customer service and an enthusiasm for what they do and how they do it. Brixton have a huge respect for everyone on their team and are building a diverse and highly skilled team that takes pride in being part of their success. Every day in the brewery is a day of fast-paced, ever-changing, challenging work alongside talented, professional, interesting and hilarious people. And let's face it, we all like a good laugh at work with our colleagues. And they are all working together to put Brixton on the map for great beer and having a great time while doing it. So they're inviting you to go join their team. So they are looking for someone to join their production team in the role of lead packager. The responsibilities include running and maintaining their rotary canning line, keg filler and bottling line, ordering raw packaging materials and ensuring accurate labelling of the finishing product. Uh, you need at least three years experience of running a canning and kegging line, an IBD general certificate in brewing or packing or equivalent, managerial experience leading teams, dealing with suppliers, managing deadlines, engineering and mechanical experience and obviously you need to be nice and fit, have organisational skills and able to work as part of a team. 
There are more details on the website. So if you head over to brewing-jobs.com and look up the role posted on August the 20th as a lead packager for Brixton Brewery, you can find out information there and then you can apply for the job by sending a CV and a covering letter through the website. Closing date is the 4th of September. So if that sounds like something for you, make sure you head over to brewing-jobs.com and check out both this job and a range of other jobs in the UK brewing industry. Finally, if you're a fan of Hop Forward, make sure you follow us on all the socials at Hop Forward Beers and connect with us on both LinkedIn and our Facebook group. Head over to hopforward.beer for more podcasts like this one and check out some of our work that we do with breweries, bottle shops, bars and other beer businesses and other beer businesses and other beer businesses with a range of services around the three core building blocks of Hot Forward, beer, brands and business. So whether you need a new website, you need branding and, and design work, you need marketing and social media help, or after a brewery and business consultant, then Hot Forward is here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So head over to hopforward.beer and hot rocket your business to success. Right, let's crack open this week's conversation all about saving the brewery with David McGowan from Broughton Ales. Today on the Hot Four Podcast, I'm joined by David McGowan from Broughton Brewery. Hello. Hello. How's it going up there in Scotland? Well, uh, there's, there's this thing up in the sky today. It's the sun and uh, it makes a rare appearance about once every three or four months. Yes, it's out today. It doesn't exist up there. Yeah, um, yeah well, I, I can sympathise. Yesterday down here it was mega crap, like proper wet. And today it's really sunny. So yeah. Well, we had flooding last week. So um, and uh, but I always think when it comes to uh, good weather that you know just um, it makes people a bit cheerier, a bit more smiley, and uh, they tend to drink a wee bit more beer as well. Say, so that's good, always a good thing. Good on beer sales, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, although I, I always used to when I used to be working at Sheffield Beer Company, I always used to perplex me where it'd have a super hot weekend, and then you do the beer calls on a monday and think oh they're gonna they're gonna have sold all the beer because they want to take beer it's like oh no we're all good for beer and you're like but it was so hot <laughs> like surely you should be like out of beer by now but yeah there you go i, I remember um so I, i've worked in uh, breweries basically for all my working life and i remember it was about 15 years ago i was with uh, scottish newcastle and um it was a really really hot summer and there was all these analysts that said, you know, if the temperature's half a degree higher, it's worth so many thousand hectolitres. But they actually worked out there was a point if it went above 30 degrees um, that people, it became too hot to drink beer at that point. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder how global warming will mean uh, yes. years to come. It's like, yeah. oh, remember when we all used to drink beer because it was yeah. only like 33 <laughs> degrees C, but now it's like 54 degrees, you know. Um, but th- there you go. But well, by that we've point, been drinking beer for you know a long, long time, uh, you know, thousands of years. I, I was involved in a project when I was there, actually, um, which some of you, your listeners might might be aware of, and um, they they found a, a a beer recipe inside uh, some of the walls and the tombs in Egypt, 
and uh, we we worked to recreate it and we came out with a beer Tutankhamunel or Tutankhamunel however you pronounce it and um, we got grain from a local uh, area that was uh, in Egypt that was as similar as it could possibly be. I looked at the style of yeast and, and basically developed the product and uh, then, then sold it um, on a limited edition. And it's still, you'll see some of it in eBay um, for, you know, 50, 100 quid. But at the time it was actually in the Guinness Book of Records as the world's most expensive beer. Wow, amazing. So there you go. Well, um, I hadn't come across Broughton Brewer before, uh, which, uh-huh. given its history, you know, which we'll come on to shortly, uh, f- feels quite wrong. Until I saw a campaign on Instagram uh, to hashtag Save the Brewery. So, before we crack that conversation open, um, I'd love it if you could share with our listeners some of the rich history behind Broughton Brew. Because when we had a phone call the other day, you were telling me a little bit, and I was amazed. So, I'd, I'd love for you to talk about. You know the the journey over the last four decades, how the brewery and the beers have changed over that time, and and even throughout that period, what sort of challenges the breweries faced over the years. Yep. So um, Broughton's got a fascinating history. It started in 1979, and um, you know. I, don't know how many people who are listening will have been around in 1979, but if you think about that time, we were still in the, the sort of punk movement. Um, but we we were also in a period when uh, brewery breweries were consolidating. There was closures. Um, you know, the the peak of the sort of 1940s, 50s, and 60s uh, was disappearing. So, in many ways, when Broughton started, uh, we we were the original brew punks. We were going against the trend. Um, and uh, at least that's what I like to say. Anyway, um, the original brew so, <laughs> The original brew punks. from Scotland. Yeah, so I've got <laughs> to watch that one. Might, I, I've, that, I, that phrase might come in handy for your brewery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think I've actually got that in my beer card. Uh, you know, vintage brew punk, nineteen seventy nine. Um, so so the brewery started then, and um, it was predominantly uh, an ale producer. Um, fascinating. Um, the, the, the two guys who set it up, um, one was uh, uh, David Younger, and David, uh, who's now mid-80s, um, he, um, he was a member of the, of the Younger Brewing family, and uh, Younger's got a, a huge brewing history and heritage across the UK, uh, parts of London as well, where Younger's number three used to do well. And there was two different strands to the Younger's family. There was the Robert Younger family, the um, who started in Alloa and moved to Edinburgh, and then there was the William Younger family, and uh, D- David was from the, the Robert Younger family, and... Um, Eventually, uh, as you know, virtually all breweries in Scotland, they, 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 they ultimately became part of the Scottish Newcastle Empire. So, uh, David was one of the founders of the brewery, and you know he's got beer in his his blood. Um, and um, it was also that his other partner was a guy called James Collins. And uh, James is is from the Collins Pocket Dictionary Publishing family. Uh, so the two of them set it up. Um, amongst the earliest beers were Old Jock that we still proudly produce today, with Merlin that we still uh, proudly produce today, and um, the the you know went against the trend of large brewers, but gradually developed a niche reputation. At, at that time, um, there was probably only ten or twelve breweries in Scotland, 
And, um, you know, so they were very much at the forefront. I think um, Michael Jackson, the, 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 the beer hunter, de- described them as being at the forefront of a renaissance in Scottish right. brewing. Wow. And, um, That's an accolade right there. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 there's a fantastic, fantastic history and heritage. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the other thing, um, and he, he's a wee bit evasive about exactly wh- when it was, but um, our head brewer who's still with us today, uh, he actually joined um, in the early 80s as well. So Ian's been with our business for nearly 40 years. Wow. Uh, and he's now our head brewer. So you know, uh, what he doesn't know about our beers and the kits and, you know, the, the, the Scottish beer market, um, you know, he's just enormously dedicated and committed uh, to, to brewing our beer. So he, he's got a fascinating history as well. And um, the brewery uh, grew um, in the uh, late 80s and the 80s and the early 90s. And then in the, the mid-90s, uh, they get into a little bit of um, uh, financial difficulty. I don't really know the full story behind it. And somebody else took over for a period uh, from about 1996 to about 2015. And uh, during that period, initially, um, the brewery did well on the momentum that the the, the younger family had created. Um, but as uh, some, uh, you know, there was a, a revitalization or a rejuvenation of brewing, um, they sort of fell slightly behind uh, where, where, where they should have been. And um, I got involved in 2015. Um, I first started uh, work um, in breweries in the late 80s. Uh, and s- interestingly, I started work in the William Younger Brewery on the site of the William Younger Brewery, which is in Holyrood Road in Edinburgh, um, which is now um, a hotel, but it's part of the sort of area that's covered by the, the new Scottish Parliament. Um, and that was part of the Scottish and Newcastle uh, business. And I, and I worked there for many years and I've worked for other drinks companies as well. And then in 2015, um, myself and um, uh, a few other vintage beer punks, as we might call ourselves, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we get involved in, uh, we, we took over Broughton. Um, for me, it's it's always been um, something I've wanted to do. I mean, obviously not since you know I was two years old, but since I started getting involved in the the beer industry, I just found the romance, the history, the heritage, uh, and just you know the satisfaction that you you do something, you produce a beer that people like it, and then you're standing in a pub or a supermarket, and there's somebody pr- drinking a beer that you've helped produce. You just you get a real buzz out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I uh, um, uh, kind of haven't failed as a Formula One driver, failed to get the gig as a guitarist in The Clash, uh, <laughs> achieved a lifetime ambition, and um, I get involved in, in Broughton Brewery in, in 2015. And um, since then, uh, we've had a really interesting journey. Um, we've you know looked into the history and heritage and the style of beers that the brewery make and we try to improve uh, the the quality of those try to improve um, the the branding and the marketing because that's incredibly important these days but we've also um, tried to make sure that we tra- we stay true to who we are in terms of you know uh, proud roots and the Scottish borders 
Mm. Um, and you know what what we stand for is beer. Yeah. Um, and you know we have interesting debates about the word craft and uh, all sorts of other things. And and, and we're a brewer. Yeah. We make beer. <laughs> yeah. So as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, I first came across the brewery when I saw this video clip. Established in 1979, Broughton is Scotland's original microbrewery, steeped in history and heritage. Our brewers are masters in the age-old tradition of handcrafting beers and inventing new recipes which are exported all over the world. As a small, independent business, we are passionate, proud and dedicated. Our diverse team is our family. Our customers are our lifeblood. And now, we need you. During lockdown, our brewery has been innovating and developing new styles and flavours, from gluten-free to no alcohol. But as pubs and bars reopen, our brewery is fighting to stay afloat and compete with mass-produced beers. Our craftsmanship and dedication to brewing will only survive with your support. You can help us save the brewery by making a donation, or you can make a pledge and receive one of our exclusive rewards, including a bottle of our vintage limited edition Russian Imperial Stout. For the beer lovers across Scotland and all over the world, you were part of the craft beer revolution, and now we need you to be part of its revival. So having seen that, I'd be interested to know how has COVID-19 affected Broughton Brewery and why in particular have you been hard hit over other breweries that have also suffered as a result of lockdown? What makes you guys different? Yeah, well, I I think first of all, I would acknowledge that every brewery across the UK, large or small, uh, has been hit by COVID. Um, But we we were in a position um, early uh, this year that we, we had some real momentum around our business. Uh, we'd just redesigned uh, some of our branding. Um, we'd explored some new areas in terms of, uh, of liquids. And um, suddenly we had our, our legs chopped away from us uh, by the fact that, you know, the pubs are 45% of the beer market. And, um, the, you know, that market just came to a complete standstill. And, um, you know, we, we sat down and we looked at, right, well, what's important to us? And, you know, we said, right, well, brewing beer is, is important to us, but also people are important to us as well. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we come out of this um, crisis. We didn't know how long it would last. I don't think any of us still know how long it's going to last, but we wanted to make sure that we come out of it in a position where we were strong, we were robust, and um, we were... Um, we were looking to to uh, you know have have more people and more brands in our business rather than less. Yeah. Um, and but one of the things that I did think was that the the difficult part was always going to be once the bars reopened because once pubs and bars reopened to a certain extent some of the sympathy vote disappears because people yep. think all oh, right well pubs are open you know what why why have you you still get issues but I think what we're seeing is. Um, that since pubs and bars reopened, uh, they're operating on you know 50, 60, 70% of their uh, capacity. Um, but not only that, you know, a lot of pubs are either owned by or um, you know they've got some sort of financial involvement to the large breweries, and and rightly so. Those organisations, if they've got a vested interest, they're going to want to make sure that their beers get the prime slots. Mm. So, you know, we're finding that, you know, if you go into a bar that maybe had 
nine or ten different beers. Well, at the moment, it's only got five or six different beers. And um, we are being hit hard by that. Um, We're also being hit hard by the Edinburgh Festival, which is just growing and growing and growing. And, um, you know, normally at this time of year, we would have two, maybe even three vans a day out delivering across central Scotland. We, we, we go all over Scotland, we go to Northern England, but at this time of year, they'd particularly be going into Edinburgh. And that's just gone. Yeah. Um, and therefore, we looked at, right, well, we, we, we want to get some uh, funding into our business. Um, we also, we, we had been looking at um, the, the vintage Russian stout we've got, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and we wanted to make sure people had a, an opportunity to try that product. But we were looking at how do we overcome the immediate short-term challenges of a lack of business, but also how do we uh, give ourselves scope that we've ventured into gluten-free, we've got no alcohol products, that we had uh, a future vision that we could deliver in terms of our beers and the people who work for us. Mm. So how did you come to the decision that crowdfunding was the best action to take to generate that additional revenue, particularly in the world of breweries and beer where you hear some horror stories about crowdfunding like what 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 was the point where you were like actually this is the right route for us rather than you know like a, a bounce back loan or something like that yeah well we 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 have looked at uh, and explored um various different options but the time we we started to uh, you know particularly with regard to bounce back loans um the rules of engagement have changed in those slightly but you know eight ten weeks ago um, you know, the banks wanted, uh, you know, the clothes off your back before, you know, they would give you anything. Um, so Crowdfunder, we'd looked at um, the, the way that that had worked um, for other uh, uh, drinks organisations. And um, we came to the conclusion that in the short to medium term, that, that was the best one for us. Um, and also we were doing some interesting things um, in terms of we um, spent a lot of time improving our um, online uh, web shop. Um, so we saw a trend towards people were looking for new, different experiences. Um, and all of those things, you know, fell into place. You know, a bit of evaluation that said, right, uh, crowdfunding is the best opportunity for us at the moment. Yeah. So how, how do you intend to use those pledges if, if you meet the target? Um have you got plans lined up for it or is it more about a cash flow thing well cash flow is a part of it but what we want to do is we've just launched um a gluten-free beer which is the first time uh we've been involved in that that and there's an interesting story around there um and we've also launched two no alcohol products um and we've also started a barrel aging program so the the majority of the investment will be to help us roll out those brands, get them right. to more people, get more visibility for them. Yeah. So, talk, I mean, talk about those products. Talk about the gluten-free one, first of all. Well, the, gl- the gluten-free one's an interesting one um, because our, uh, our brewing kit is... Um, is relatively old and traditional. So we're one of the uh, very, very few breweries in the UK that have got a Porteous malt mill. Uh, now, I don't, I don't know if you've heard of that. Or do, you, do you want me just to explain to yeah, people? Yeah, would you mind? So, yeah. yeah, so fascinating. You can Google Porteous malt mills, P-O-R-T-E-U-S. And there's a great story on the web 
about the malt mill that didn't break down. And uh, they were based in, I think, was it Keithley or Halifax? And um, it's a traditional sort of grinding style malt mill. Um, and our one dates back to um, probably late 50s, early 60s. Uh, but Porteous himself, um, they unfortunately, uh, they went bankrupt in the, the mid 80s. Uh, and they went bankrupt because their kit doesn't break down. So it's known as the malt mill that doesn't break down. Mm. Touch wood. <laughs> um, so, um, so we're one of the, I think we're the only brewery in Scotland who've got one of those. A number of the distilleries have them, particularly when they're reopening distilleries that have been mothballed. Uh, and one of very few. So we've got a, a, a relatively traditional brewing process. Um, it's about the skill of the brewer. It's not, you know, the stuff goes into one end of the machine and comes out five days later. A lot of it is, you know, uh, traditional skills. Um, but as a result of that, um, all our beers come out as being naturally very low in gluten. Mm. And uh, so it was uh, a, a, an obvious journey for us to say, well, you know, people are looking uh, towards health products. They're looking at... Um, uh, you know, no alcohol products, looking to discover new styles. And um, that was an area that we felt there was a demand from uh, our consumers for. Um, and we had a, a beer that we tried and tested and uh, we, we thought, right, hey, we're, we're happy with this. And this is a, you know, it's a no compromise gluten product because I think sometimes there's a bit of a perception it lacks something mm. um, because of the way that we brew and because of our... Um, historical uh, processes, then actually we've got a full-bodied, really good beer um, that there's no compromise on. Yeah. And talk about the low alcohol or alcohol-free stuff. Is it, is it, is it a malt drink you're doing? Or is it yes, it's a, it's a malt drink. And um, it, was, uh, um, it was one that, uh, it was right at the beginning of, uh, of lockdown. We had been looking at no alcohol beers for a while and people had been asking us when are you going to do a no, a no alcohol beer and um, we uh, decided right let, let's let's do something but let's try and do it a little bit differently and um, so we set uh, up a small project team um, now given there's only 12 of us in the business it's a very small project <laughs> team and um, we, uh, we we thought right okay there's an interesting opportunity here. We, we tried some of the, the malt style brews that are big in, in Africa and various parts of the world. I thought, hey, they're really uh, interesting. They're really fascinating. Um, the way that we do them, they're, they're, they're fully brewed. Um, but obviously, the, the, there's no alcohol. We've got a little bit of hop in them. And um, we, we went through about five or six different uh, developments of the recipe. We actually spoke to, it wasn't me personally that did it, but we spoke to some brewers in uh, the Caribbean and in uh, Guyana uh, for a bit of guidance on recipe development. And um, the, the beers that we've come out with now, Pure Jock and uh, Hop Zero Percent, uh, we're really, really chuffed with them. That They're only out a fortnight, um, but the early feedback we've got is um, has been really positive. Um, what, one thing I did get slightly chastised for, and I maybe shouldn't say this on air, but um, uh, when they first came out, we all took some home. We tried it at home, as you do. You let your family and friends try it. 
and uh, we gathered the next day and there was this, oh, what do you think, what do you think? And everybody was really pleased. And I said, well, I thought, I thought they were really good. Um, but what I did try was I tried one mixed with spiced rum. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, was, it made a great addition to spiced rum. And I got this look to say, David, you have missed the point. This is supposed <laughs> to be no alcohol. This is a Glaswegian in you that can't go without alcohol. I love it. <laughs> so... <laughs> So chastised um, for that one. <laughs> so, h- how do you think the UK government could have helped a business like Broughton Brewery more, or going forward, how do you think they can help? Because for all their fumbling of the handling of the COVID nineteen pandemic and Brexit and all the rest of it, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who would say, without Rishi Sunak's intervention through bounce back loans, grants, and the furloughing scheme, the industry would be in a much worse state than it is. Yeah. But what what do you think they could be doing more or could have done more, particularly during lockdown, to help a brewery like yours? Yeah, well, I, I think the first thing to recognise is that for everybody, we're in the journey of the unknown. And, um, you know, when the government first introduced lockdown, they didn't know how um, long it was going to last. They still don't know what's going to, uh, how long it's going to last. So I do have a degree of sympathy for uh, both the UK and the Scottish governments because we've obviously got slightly different rules up here um, that that none of them know. Um, and in terms of what could they do and what can they do? Well, I think the first thing is uh, to acknowledge that some of the loans that they had were good, but I think they should have brought them out uh, much quicker and uh, probably been a bit tougher in the bank's uh, early doors. Um, And if we look at what the the Eat Out to Help Out scheme is potentially good, um, but my, my my concern would be there is a raft of legislation potentially on the horizon. So you've got the deposit returnable scheme yep. that's pretty far advanced in Scotland. Um, and that is going to be really, really hard work for small brewers like ourselves. Yeah. Um, so you've got that. Um, we also have proposed uh, changes to um, the duty and... Um, Again, those will work against the best interests of some of, some of the smaller brewers. And you, you then look at those in the context that we've, we've had Brexit. Um, we have, or we're, we're going to have Brexit. We also have in Scotland, we've got minimum unit pricing. Um, we've got some changes over um, uh, things like promotional policies. So... The biggest challenge I, I find is is not so much the individual bits of government legislation, it's the constant wave. And mm. you're just being, you know, it's barrage after barrage after barrage. And if you're in a big company, those are challenging. But when you're in a small company where there's only, um, you know, 10, 15, 20 people, you have to be an expert on everything. So you've got to be an expert on the implications of Brexit. You've got to be an expert on the implications of DRS. You've got to be an expert on the implications of the duty change. And, you know, all of the, those prevent you doing your core purpose, which is brewing great beer and giving people the chance to enjoy it and to taste it. So how will SBR affect a brewery like Broughton Brewery? Um, It will have a negative uh, impact on us as it currently stands. And um, I suspect uh, that there will be a little bit of a softening 
in terms of how it's actually implemented. Um, because having had a look at um, the, the, the proposed changes and the, the supposed supporters, then there seems to be quite a lot of people who uh, supposedly signed up, signed the pledge, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, but are now wanting to distance themselves from it. Mm. And um, I suspect that will be um, that will have implications. I also understand that the Scottish government, um, again, because it affects us, um, they will be uh, voting against it. Um, Albeit, I'm not sure that that, that uh, you know they, they don't have enough. Uh, uh, well, the Conservatives have a majority, so if they wanted to go through, it will go through. Yeah, um, but there there is also an interesting point um, that you know for for for, for um, about legislation and drinks because very often legislation in the uh, the drinks industry, you know, big changes like the smoking ban, which I think is a good thing, um, minimum unit pricing, they very often start north of the border and nobody really takes them very seriously. Um, and they then get introduced and then they're suddenly, oh my God, this is about to be everywhere across the UK, at which point people wake up mm. and um, and realise the implications. Do you, do you feel like um, basically the Scottish population are Westminster's guinea pigs? No, no. I, 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 that's an area in terms of, um, you know, I try to, to uh, uh, avoid getting involved in politics. Um, we, you know, we get politicians want to come and visit us all the time. And we, we have a, a, an open door policy in that respect. Um, so, you know, I tend to look at things on a, an issue by issue basis right. um, rather than a, a you know, particular party or, you know, so-and-so's pro this or so-and-so's pro that. Um, you have to assume that, you know, every politician, well, the majority of them have actually got the well-being of themselves and their constituents as uh, the, the, their, um, their, their primary agenda and, you know, they set out to deliver that. Mm. So just moving on a little bit, how has competition within British beer and UK exports changed over the last few decades, particularly with your involvement through, um, in the beer industry over that time? And then how have you been able to, as you've observed that, bring some of your experience into Broughton Brewery? Yeah, well, the, there's a couple of things there. I think the first one is um, I always find it really fascinating when people talk about um, what's the next big trend in beer? And actually, if you look, we've not been particularly good at predicting trends. We've been quite good at predicting micro trends, but you know, twenty years ago, you couldn't give away IPA. Now, you know, IPAs are you know relatively fashionable. Um, Twenty-five years ago, you couldn't give away um, uh, cider, um, and you know. So, so in terms of what are the long-term trends, um, I think they're really interesting that, you know, you can maybe predict micro-trends um, that, you know, IPA might split into subgroups or that stouts might have a bit of a resurgence. But in terms of the macro-trends, you know, it's almost um, whatever you can't give away now will be the thing that the next generation right. um, <clears throat> will, 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 will want to, to consume. 
Yeah. And in that respect, um, uh, I try to make sure that for us as an organisation, because we're small, we have to use that as one of our uh, to our advantage, and we have to be in a position whereby we see a trend and we think that you know that that's true to who we are as an organisation and that it aligns with our values. That you know we we can look at that and we can do that quickly. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, for for me, this sort of cultural bit around you know how do you behave as an organisation? Well, I, I think that's just as important as um, as you know what, what what your actual output is. Yeah. So just going back to the crowdfunding, then um, yep. talk to us a bit about the twenty-year-old Russian Imperial Stoutlass on offer for a, a pledge of fifty pounds. I've, I've got mine reserved, and I'm very yep. looking forward to drinking <laughs> that bad boy. Like what? And me, and me, I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> so I presume is it being twenty years in package, or is it being in barrels, or no, what, it's I mean, been in a. Um, it's been in a storage vessel uh, for twenty years. It was. Um, first brewed by the brewing team um 20 years ago and um the the beer has if i say it's it's laying there that's probably the uh, the wrong expression but it, it's been inside the vessel and um we've just been washing it and and every sort of six months or so we'll go and we'll have a little try of it and we sort of mm, that's really good what will we do with it and um it just seemed a really appropriate moment now that um, when we were doing our crowdfunding, we also wanted to make a bit of a statement about, um, hey, we've been around, you know, for 40 years. We think we're pretty good at brewing. We've got, you know, a good reputation. Um, and, you know, Imperial Stouts, or Russian Imperial Stouts are, uh, I think, particularly in the States, you know, they're quite edgy at the moment. And, um, you know, this is almost, uh, you know, we, we, we're a bit like, you know, when the, the Rolling Stones or, or Dr. Feelgood or something like that decide, hey, we're going to make a statement, we're going to put something out. And, you know, um, I, I think people will... will uh, We'll try it and, and we'll hopefully agree with us that it's a very good example of that style of beer. So this stout's been in, in tank essentially for 20 years. Is, is it, it sounds a little bit like a time capsule like with a note on like, do not open until 2020. Uh, yes, very much so. Um, we do have uh, that there's a, a valve at the bottom and occasionally we'll just sneak a little bit and, <laughs> uh, and, and we sort of, reassure ourselves um just how good it is and then um you know one of the things um when you when you do work for um breweries and particularly when you've got your own involvement in it is, is sometimes when you come up with something really good there is a bit of a temptation just to drink it all yourself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so <clears throat> Um, but no, the, the, this one uh, we're sharing with uh, the wider world. I love stouts. Like I've always loved stouts. I remember uh-huh. the first, it was a pint of Guinness I had, like the, this was the first ever stout I had. And I was just like, wow, and this is so different from, it was only like bitters or lagers at the time, you know, it's just, it had this black beer, you know. Um, and ever since I feel like I've been on a quest to find like the perfect stout. And so there were some great Imperial stouts out there, but what I tend to find more often than not is it's kind of like a you know a pecan and maple marshmallow whip eaten mess imperial stout rather than just a straight up russian imperial stout 
So I'm guessing from 20 years ago, it's there's there's not a peanut in sight. <laughs> there's there's not a peanut in sight. There's not a pecan in sight. I think the only thing um, that has been in sight um, is uh, I've got a bottle of um, is it Courage Imperial Stout or would it be Barclays? I know they all fell into the mm. same organisation from uh, 1992. Um, so in terms of um, when we were looking at it, the design and stuff like that, that that had a bit of an influence because we were looking at uh, the whole. Um, I think the the Barclay Perkins brewing team used to produce a Russian Imperial Stout from about 1950. They do one every five years, and you know you grabbed it while you can, sort of thing. So yeah. uh, there's a bit of that with this one as well. Um, g- given that you did a confession on air early, I'll I'll do one myself. So when I was at Sheffield Brewery, um, there, there were three directors, one of which was the the brewer, <laughs> and um, he he loved collecting beer paraphernalia. Um, but we had a bit of a, a, a clean out and he wasn't as actively involved in the business. And um, one of the directors wanted the, the top of the bar where a lot of this paraphernalia was clearing just to make it less cluttered. Because there's all kinds of taxidermy and all sorts up there. And there are all these old bottles. And I came across these two Imperial Stouts from like the 70s. But the temptation to crack them open thinking, I'll never notice. Yeah. <laughs> and I bet he would have he'd walked in yeah. and it had just kind of like something's different in my aura. I can feel a change in the air. My stouts, yeah, where have yeah. they gone? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, do you know, I, I've got a few um, bottles that I've, uh, I've collected over the years, um, some of which never made it to market, which have got interesting and fascinating stories around it. So I've got ones that um, Damien Hurst did the labels for Beck's ones. And, mm. um, you know, my wife's sister, oh, what are you doing with that? No, 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 we've got to keep it. We've got to keep it. And, you know, that that's part of the... You know the 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 history and the, the romance of of brewing industry that you know wherever uh, um, beer is just now we we're just a very very small part of a very long journey and it's you know nice to be able to to say that you've you know produced something or that you put something that people have enjoyed that's just part of that journey. Mm, yeah, I mean I've I've got to ask what what happens if you don't meet the forty thousand pound target? The 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 target it's not a, a it's not a, de, a dependent one, right? So uh, the you know everybody who signs up to buy uh, the uh, the stouts uh, and some of the other uh, uh, products we've got on the the uh, crowdfunder page, uh, everybody will get those. So that that's guaranteed. If you've signed up, you get so. Because um, the other one um, that we've just put on is um, a hop art print, uh, which is inspired by Andy Warhol. Oh, and, nice. Uh, that that was something that um, we were, were doing some redesign last year, and we we just we got somebody to play around with the graphics slightly. And then we discovered that all of us who were the owners, we all owned uh, the banana album uh, by the Velvet Underground. Yep. And we then had a conversation <laughs> about, um, I think I think that was officially, was it Nico in the Velvet Underground? It, or it was, it? yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So we, we then, so we then had conversations about how many Lou Reed albums we all had and such like, um, and uh, you know that that then inspired us, and we thought, hey, we should try and do something in the sort of hop art theme, uh, using some of the new graphics. So, so we've got these prints we've produced um, that people can see on our crowdfunder page, and um, 
we, you know, get some other ideas as, you know, it might be in a future stage we actually bring those to life in limited edition cans mm, or something yeah. like that. So didn't that album have um I am waiting for my man on it? Was it was, it, was yeah. that was it that out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I um yeah, because I think uh I, I think they did that song there and then I think Lou Reed also did it in one of his early albums. Right. Um I've also got a cover of it by the UK subs. So that's kind of part of my vintage punk roots. UK subs. <laughs> I, 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 I was in a band that supported UK subs. Were you? Oh, yeah, really? yeah. We were called Strawberry Jack. I was the drummer. And um, we got a gig at um, the Boardwalk in Sheffield, which is exciting. It's long closed down now. And it had so many great beers on their bar, a little independent music venue. You know, I mean, we'd support loads of bands. We supported Arctic Monkeys there as well. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, we supported UK subs and there was just like all these sort of, um, you know, middle-aged punk rockers still living the dream, you know, and this, and between the sort of sound desk and the stage, just this, this thick sort of green haze of weed smoke, <laughs> <laughs> but they were, they were lovely. You know, we got a photo. I can't remember his name. Is it Charlie? Is that the singer's name? Charlie Harper. That's, that's it. Right, yeah. 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 I, we got, I've got a photo, uh, of us with him, you know, and um, he loved us. He thought we were great. So, um, Yeah. Yeah, so I'm familiar with UK subs. So yeah, John, who's one of the uh, the, the owners at Broughton, he was brought up in Brighton, so he walks about the office singing Piranhas songs. Right, <laughs> 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 like from Brighton as well. So. Nice. <laughs> anyway, sorry, on you go. No, I mean, do, do you think we'll see more breweries in a similar position to yourselves over the next twelve months? I mean, where, where do you think the industry is heading? Um. Well, there's two parts to that. I think it's where, where is the industry heading and where, where where do we want it to head? I think where we want it to head is that we want to ensure that, um, you know, we've got 2,000 plus breweries in the UK now. Um, if you went back 20 years ago, there was 150 and there will inevitably be some breweries because of current challenges will fall out. But I think it's really, really important that we have that uh, number because I think um, all the different breweries bring different things and they offer consumer choice. They brew some absolutely fantastic beers. Um, And they also hold the wider beer industry to account because, um, you know, the days when you could just, um, you know, have an American lager, you know, with an American comedian as the focal point or an Australian with, Australia, those days are now gone and people are looking much, much more at what actually am I drinking, where is it from, who's it brewed by, what is their story and it's really, really important for all of us collectively and I think also for the government um, in terms of what they can do to make sure that this renaissance uh, that we are on at the moment, that this survives. Yeah. And um, just being able to see uh, the, the choices of beers. You might not like all of them. You know, we, we've got some beers out there that people may not have as a number one choice. But, you know, I, I will take any of our beers and say they're brilliant examples of that style. If you don't like that style, well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, when you go into uh, a pub or a bar, um, you know, it's, it, some people will always prefer the the, the mass market brands, yeah. but there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to get a good quality choice of local beers from at least one or two local brewers on every bar across the UK. Absolutely. 
wholeheartedly agree with that well th- thank you david for being on the podcast today um how can people support brewerton brewery and then um what's what's next for the brewery okay so if uh, people want to find out more um about our imperial stout if they want to um find out more about hop art and if they want to just find out more about our brilliant beers um you can go to www.savethebrewery.com and you will be able to, uh, there's a link there to our crowdfunder. There's also a link uh, to our beers. Um, and in terms of uh, what's next for the brewery, well, um, we're seeing uh, more and more online sales. And we want to make sure that we come out of the current, and uh, I'm just going to use the word shitstorm because I think that's the only way to describe <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> but we want to, we want to make sure um, that we, we come out of that. Um, in a, a stronger place than we, we went in, that we're still employing the same number of people, um, that we still have the same great brands. Um, but also, you know, as somebody who's worked in, in beer for over 30 years, I think we have not just a responsibility to our brewery, but we also have a responsibility to other breweries. And, you know, so I would urge people, um, you know, don't, Please support our brewery, but also please support your, you know, your other local independent breweries. You know, there's a lot of people working very, very hard uh, to brew some great beer. Give them a chance, try their beer. Fantastic, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Today's episode of the Hot Forward Podcast was proudly sponsored by Brew Packs. Brew Packs have been providing microbrewery supplies in small and manageable sizes for over 25 years, acting as agents and resellers for some of the world's best producers of ingredients, sundries and equipment. With some of the industry's lowest minimums and lead times, Brew Packs aim to make their products accessible to all. Partnering with Oushouse Engineering, Brewpacks have released their smallest can seamer at a cost-effective price, while also aiming to provide cans in the smallest minimums as possible to make the introduction into canning as easy as can be. Call Brewpacks today on 01709 780888. That's 01709 780888 or visit their website brewpacks.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Forward podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at Hot Forward Beers. Until next time, cheers. Hi,